Is Brandon Sutter here this morning? Are you here, Brandon? Yes. Okay. I am so sorry to call you out, but um, this is this is so amazing. Brandon's like one of the quietest people, and he is going to hate me after this moment. But I just want to tell you what happened. Uh, I don't even know the details. I just know that. He saved his neighbor's life this week by administering CPR, and it's incredible. And, well, whoa, 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 not yet, not yet, I'll tell you when. That's not the end of the story. Uh, it was because our security team put on the CPR thing that, that this all was able to happen. So I want to give it up for our team. And Brandon, way to go. Whoa. Oh, man. That's crazy, crazy. Uh, I want to thank Paul and Tina and the whole security team for doing what you did to save a person's life this week. Amazing, amazing stuff. I'm so excited to share this next announcement with you guys because um, it's something that God has done and I, I wasn't ready for this. I wasn't expecting it, but I am so excited about the fact that God is pulling something off here and and I need, to want, I need to share this with you today, and I've been, I, I couldn't hardly wait until today got here. My, my ministry leadership team will tell you, if you'd ask them, uh, how much I constantly talk about handing the leadership of this church all in, in all of our areas over to our young adults, to our millennials, uh, the people that many people in my generation have written off, right? And... Um, but I see something different in our millennial generation. I see something that I know God has, he has prepared uh, people for young people. I, I found this passage of scripture, and this is for every millennial in the room. Uh, it, it says in Zephaniah chapter 7 that he is silently planning for you in his love. And I truly believe that. I believe a, a new generation is coming that is different than this generation, if we can just get them away from video games, we should be fine. And I think we will. Because God has planted something deep in their hearts. It is a love uh, that, that is overriding all of the things that gets in the way of the gospel. And so I have this undying love for this generation, an undying hope. I, I believe that God is preparing this generation for something incredible in the church. And so we've been handing as much leadership as we can from the church uh, to people, just so that, to young people, so that we can make sure that they're the church, not of tomorrow, but of today. And um, so here's the, here's the announcement. Out of the blue, God has gifted our church with, with a family and especially a, a, a man who has young adults just in their hearts. It's an incredible situation. It's a gift from God. And um, I want us to welcome the Miles family to church. Where, where is the, the, where's Jen and the, here? They, wave your hand a little bit higher. And let's just welcome these guys to Destiny. Turner, come on up. All right, this is... Is this on? Check, 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 check. Okay. Um, Turner is the leader of what is now Destiny Church Young Adult Ministry. And yes, yes. And 
He's going to tell you about our first event, which is a week from tomorrow night. But first, Turner, just say hi. And, and uh, man, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, we, we're just excited. So just, just share a little bit about what's going on and tell us about next Monday night. Awesome. Well, thank you, Greg, so much. And thank you, Destiny Church. Uh, uh, I don't even know where to start. Uh, I first want to say uh, a great thanks to Greg. Uh, through a series of circumstances and unforeseen in my, from my point of view, uh, life situations, I found myself in the council of Greg uh, about three months ago, maybe four months and ago. And nobody wants to find themselves there. <laughs> well, <laughs> you say that, but it was, it was enormous in my life, and it was comforting, and God used you in a tremendous way. And uh, it came, came by way of mutual friends. We had never met each other, and, uh, but... Um, and the Lord used you in a, in a great way to bring comfort and peace in a time that was uh, uncertain. And uh, even the song that we sang there that uh, Pastor Brody got up and he uh, kind of explained where it came from. Uh, I had a young adult who was going to school down in Atlanta um, about six months ago send me a text message from a time of prayer he was having with the Lord. And, and the Lord gave him a vision of me standing in front of a wave with my arms outstretched. And he said, I don't know if it's going to consume you or if it's going to part and uh, he goes but I had to tell you <laughs> that's great <laughs> yeah, that's... but uh, God's faithful and he will take care of his children and he will part the sea when it needs to part and so uh, so it was a comfort to hear that song and to know that and and uh, and then to stand here this morning but uh, what we're going to do is uh, my my experience is 13 years in full-time pastoral ministry I started off as a middle school pastor and then about four and a half years ago, I was uh, put into young adult ministry. I did that for um, up until, uh, and, well, moving forward as well. But uh, what I was able to do is be involved in a group of young adults, hundreds of young adults that are now young adults when they were just middle schoolers. And even to the point of yesterday, I performed a wedding over a couple that I had met when they were in sixth grade. And I've known them the majority of their life. And, um, and so I've had... They, they're, they're not still in middle school they're in seventh grade now okay but um yeah i told you we're handing it off man yeah young love right yeah but uh no they're in their 20s they both graduated college they're in their careers and um but i've had a unique place in their life Mm -hmm. and uh and what i've seen is that god is doing exactly what you said uh from the from the bible there that god is setting up something for his kingdom to be handed over and to be and to be used in a powerful way. Um, one of the things that I know about the millennial generation is that they are the largest generation of unchurched people in the history of the United States. So uh, they're larger even than the the baby boomer generation, which was the previously largest generation. And so they're larger in number, unchurched. And so what that means for America moving forward is the landscape, the culture, the spiritual climate of America is going to be post-Christian and secular incredibly. But, but God's not done. And so he's raising up a generation of those that by faith are calling on him. And they're going to be equipped and they're going to be bold. And this generation asks questions that previous generations were afraid to ask. They are thinking about things and, and in a way that previous generations just took for granted. And so we have to be ready and we have to have answers. And there are answers and there are some of us that are ready. And so I'm excited to be a part of this.
Awesome. Um, I just am so thankful for Destiny Church. I'm thankful for what God's doing here, the heart, the desire, the four cups that you guys are all about, an outward-facing church, reaching the lost, and finding your purpose. I mean, it's refreshing, and I'm excited to just be a part of it. Awesome. Thank you, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. One other thing, too, I just want to say is that uh, through this journey, it's not just me. It's my family. And, uh, and so we, are, we had to get uprooted and placed into a new church. And uh, it has been incredibly welcoming and warm. And through this time where it was a lot of unknowns, uh, a lot of darkness in terms of what direction, um, my family has just been right there with me. My wife, my kids, and um, my greatest, they're my greatest support. Wow. And I just want to publicly acknowledge them yeah. right now. Thank you. All right. Yeah, you guys know how to love, and so you can start loving on this family. They're part of our church, and we just want to just bring them in. So uh, you guys know how to do that. You do it so well. Um, I want to uh, also share that our speaker today is one of my best friends in the entire world. Um, he's a guy that, that just wormed his way into my life years ago, it wormed being the operative word, and um, Terry Hilders is here today, a lot of you know Terry uh, from the early days, many of you do not because you're newer to our congregation, but Terry was our children's pastor for five years, a little over five years, um, he was, uh, I mean, uh, we have a lot of young adults here today that Terry led to Jesus, and um, it's it's really incredible to see the the payout. I don't need this, do I? I got this on. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Um, but I'll hold it anyway. Um, <clears throat> Terry is, uh, but he he's been more than a pastor. He's been he's been a pastor to me. He's been a a dear friend. Um, I remember the day vividly when. We sat on my back porch, and he said that he was uh, leaving and moving to Colorado. We just sat there and cried, and I, I offered him a raise. I told him it wasn't God. Um, there were a lot of things I said to get him to stay, but ultimately, he, he and Brenda, his wife, moved back to Colorado for one reason, and that was to lead their son, Jeremiah, back to Jesus. And I'm so excited to say that that happened in an incredible way. And God has done some incredible things uh, in, in and through his life in Colorado. And uh, so he came back to visit. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Brenda is uh, no longer with us. She just passed away recently this year with cancer. And, and, and it's hard for me to imagine. I've always looked at it's always been Terry and Brenda, Terry and Brenda. You know, I, I didn't even know if they had last names, Terry and Brenda. And, and, and so right now on this earth, it's just Terry. And, uh, and he's going to share today out of the pain of, of what he's been through and what God is doing in his life. Um, I'm still trying to get him to move back. I've offered him another raise, um, took him to Mexican, and he, you know, nothing yet. So we can be praying about that too. But hey, would you guys uh, just share some incredible love for a guy that has changed our church? I love you, brother. 
<laughs> wow. I've never been introduced as a worm before. <laughs> I think that's an honorable thing. There are people in your life. I have brothers. And I'm related to them by blood. But then there are men in my life. I'm related to them by heart. And Greg is one of those. And I've loved him and Pam. Their family. It's just been amazing the journey we've been able to share. And then so many of my good friends here. And... Uh, Thank you. I, I just feel a little amazed, honored, and humbled. You have so many great teachers here, and Greg allowed me to come and be here today, so thank you. So as Greg mentioned 12 weeks ago, I'll try to get through this. Oh, the love of my life made her way to heaven. And I think Greg was right. We, uh, man, we, we finally figured that marriage thing out. We had it good. Life was good. Then cancer came in. And I'm going to share a lot of those lessons. When God doesn't make sense, I had a lot of questions, um, some not so serious. Uh, and some of you might relate to this, maybe, maybe through a death of your loved one or your spouse or even through divorce. Uh, her passing left some questions for me. Uh, like, how do you fold bed sheets <laughs> that have the elastic all the way around? I'm not kidding you. I spent 30, 40 minutes trying it this way, that way. And I was like, God, send me a sign. Let me know. Another question. Why didn't we use paper dishes all along? Why does everyone think I now need a dog? Can't tell how many people come up and you need a dog. Said, we never had a dog, just because I lost a wife, I don't need a dog. And then uh, my wife, uh, and actually Greg was a big part of helping me, uh, one year we surprised her with a car, and she's just very humble about that, and uh, actually didn't like the gift, it was a Christmas, my kids were all here, it was really a wonderful thing, and uh, she was not real happy about it, and there's reasons, but anyway, I've always took delight and joy to provide, as many of you husbands do, your wife a great vehicle. And so the car she had after she passed was 10 years old, lots of miles, breaking down. And all my life, I really wanted to get a nice car. And like, okay, they say don't make any big changes, but I was going to make one change and get rid of her junky car. Because uh, mine's even junkier. So anyway, I get a guy in our church, he's a broker, he gets me a great car. It's something I've always wanted. I love it. It's really nice. It's new. And here's the question that I don't understand. If you get a new car, and I'm sure you've done this, if you've parked way out in the parking lot, Y'all done that? So here's the question. It's a mystery of life. Why in the world when I park way out there does somebody come and park right next to me? <laughs> that makes me so mad. I, I really get ticked off about that kind of stuff. But. So let me just bring up to speed a little bit of our story, okay? Um, a little over, close to 45 years ago, I went to Bible college in Texas, met this spunky little Texas girl who could give it and give me a lot of fight for my life. And little did I know that that fight would be including our marriage. And we had many years of just going at it. It's a miracle that we stayed together. Uh, I hated her. She hated me. And we loved each other at the same time. I don't know how that works, but it did for us. 
But finally, God really began to do something supernatural in our lives, and we were actually at Seacoast in Charleston, and we had a big war on the front porch one day, cars driving by, uh, probably church people, like, isn't that our pastor yelling at his wife? (laughs) And so, anyway, through a series of events, um, God changed my heart. To the men here, the Lord spoke to me his word out of Ephesians, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And for the first time, I saw my wife as Jesus saw her. She wanted to be a good wife. But I just was making it so hard for her in my selfishness. Changed my heart. Our marriage really took a big turn. Really then enjoyed that. From there, we went to Aiken, South Carolina. We pastored. And God wanted us there. There's such clarity in us going there. But I'll tell you, for nine years pastoring in South Carolina, yeah, I just didn't enjoy it. The church grew. Great things happened. Brenda loved it. Our kids were really nurtured and developed there. All maybe God's plan, but I was not happy. I just didn't like being a lead pastor. Circumstances brought me to Leesburg. It was a, a major storm. I don't know if you remember that. Like 30 inches in Leesburg and all that. And I made my way up here and... Uh, uh, going to do some media training, some things with uh, Jeff Stockford. I don't know if you remember that, Greg. But I end up at Mexican Restaurant, which uh, happens to be both Greg and I's favorite place. And we just started talking. He shared the vision of what he really wanted to see at Destiny Church. And I knew then something got a hold of my heart. And it ended up we came and uh, had an amazing time and fell in love with Greg and Pam. Pam and my wife, Brenda, became best friends. And uh, through this time... Uh, I'll tell you, they've been there for us in so many ways, and I'm grateful for that. And as he mentioned, we were here loving it, really loving it. We were loving Destiny, our friends, the ministry we had, some really amazing things, good things were going on. And I was very, very happy. And then God spoke to us. My brother-in-law, who pastors the church in Colorado, said, hey, I'd like you to come to our media. And I was doing some of that here, and I was doing the kid thing, and we were having a good time. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm just not really interested. i got a good thing here, all right? And so is that me? Anyway, uh, don't let that bother you. Just ignore the popping. Um, Maybe it's God knocking on your brain. I don't know. But anyway. So um, the story is this. Uh, We wrestled for really many days. And we did all the pros and cons. And all the pros kept saying, stay here. And so John, my brother-in-law, my friend, called and said, hey, Terry, I need to know tomorrow. And that night, we sat in bed and we said, let's just pray. And then tomorrow, we just got to make a decision. I woke up that morning and God spoke to me very clearly and he said, would you do anything to be in a place to influence your son from me? No, no question. I could work at Walmart. I'd have hated it. I could have been a good greeter though and uh, go there and I just knew. And that's when I had to make the call and go to see Greg. And I cried on his porch because I love him, his family, and I love destiny. But I knew. So we went to Colorado. The first six months were just basically miserable. I missed you all. I missed Greg. I missed Destiny. And I had, I had family there. It was a good thing. But my son, the thing that we came, couldn't get him to come over, couldn't get him to go dinner, couldn't do nothing. And then the church thing wasn't really great at that time for me and being such a big part of what Destiny was doing and then kind of like the bottom of the totem pole there. And I was miserable. I hated it. And then one day my son calls me. He says, Dad, can I talk to you and Mom? We didn't know what it was about, so we met him at a restaurant. He walked in, and I knew exactly something was wrong. I could just see the anguish in his face, and he's not necessarily emotional. And he said to us, we sat down for dinner, and he said, Dad, I just found out I have a two-year-old son. And he had not known that. And so he'd lived a wild life, and he had actually lived 
in a house with a girl that he liked, but she had a boyfriend and broke up with a boyfriend, and they literally on New Year's Eve got drunk and had sex. So the boyfriend moved back in, and she thought it was the boyfriend's child. And so uh, as time passed, she just realized this, this isn't, this little blonde-haired, blue-eyed kid's more German than he is Hispanic. <laughs> so that was the boyfriend. So she decided to do a test and come to find out. Well, he was angry, heartbroken, he was very mad. All this comes into what we're going to talk about today when God makes sense. Changed his life. He wanted to raise his son with an understanding of God. Changed his heart. And anyway, in the long run, he actually meets this amazing, amazing woman at a bar. That happens. God can meet you at a bar. I don't suggest it, but God can do that. <laughs> and they got married, and, and she had a child uh, out of uh, a relationship. And then they have a little girl, Lily who uh, just became such a light into our life and their life. Anyway, changed his life. All my sick kids, uh, Jesse and Heather, were here for a time in worship and media. They love Jesus. And we've had a good life. And so my son was in church and involved. It was just so happy to be there. And things started to change. And things got better and better. I still miss Greg and Destiny. and We'd come occasionally and see him, not as much as I'd liked. But five years ago... We're in the middle of a marriage series, and I was going to teach one and been studying, and my Pastor John spoke about his wife being his best friend, and I thought, I got my, my wife is a great wife, but I never thought of her as a best friend. And I began to look at what is a best friend. It's someone you share everything with, you like being around, and all those things kind of related to a wife, but not really in the same manner. And so God actually changed me. And so five years ago, I cannot explain it, but as good as marriage could be, the idea of oneness the true biblical sense of oneness in a relationship took place. The last five years have been the best years of my life. Three of those, going to chemo, three surgeries, and death. And it's still the best five years of my life. It's hard now, as you can imagine. And so I've learned some things through this process, and especially in the last several days, I've learned that what God does with us in our loss is walk through us with it. He doesn't take it away. And that in the midst of your pain and your grief is this amazing peace and joy. They're not separate. They're parallel. And you can be walking in those, and I just don't even know how to explain that. There's another guy that had probably a worse situation than I did. I'll tell you a little about his story. His was not a gradual over several years with cancer, but he had lost his, all of his wealth in one day. It was gone. He lost his livelihood. He also then lost his children. They died in a horrific natural disaster. And that's kind of the story we're going to talk about, what I've learned with Brenda and what this man has taught me. The man's name is Job. You've heard his story. You're well aware. And there was a process that I learned in this, and that's what I want to share today. The first is this, loss. Every one of you here experienced loss in some fashion or form. Maybe a job, maybe a loved one, maybe uh, health, maybe a relationship. Whatever it is, every one of you experienced loss. And there's various degrees. But would you all agree today loss is painful? Some of you today feel the ache of a serious loss and you know so much how that pain of that. I saw the other day I was walking into Starbucks in Denver 
And I walk in, and this is my mantra. And it was a bumper sticker on a car, and it said, life is good. If you'd have talked to me for many years, I would be always saying that. Life is good. Life is good. And the reality is, life isn't good. Now, I know that sounds negative and depressing, but the reality is, life is hard. It's confusing. It's painful. And the reality is that we as followers of Jesus aren't insulated from loss. I used to think that, man, I could just love Jesus and he's going to take care of me. And we have not experienced that. We've experienced the same kind of loss that everybody else does. Jesus tells us that. He said, I've told you this, that you may have peace in me. But all that's good. But here's what I want you to get. Jesus is saying, here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows. Would you agree with that? Do you understand that? And here's the truth. I've heard this said before, and it's true. You're either going to be going into pain, you're in pain, or you're coming out of pain. That's life. That's the cycle that we have on this earth. And Jesus said in John, I have overcome the world. But here's where it really gets in some interesting stuff. So the first thing is loss. You're going to experience that. What do you do with that? Well, the first thing is we want to learn from that. We want to understand it. Don't you want to know, what do we do with this loss? How do we manage this? How do we make sense of it all? And so here's what we look at, okay? So first of all, I want to talk to you about serious loss of a loved one. Job lost his family. He lost everything. He even had health issues. He's literally setting, scraping sores with broken uh, pottery because he was so much pain. I was thinking about this the other day. Man, when Brenda went through her cancer, we had all sorts of wonderful things like fentanyl, oxy, you know, that really helped manage pain, and they're meant to. And I thought, poor Job had nothing but a broken piece of pottery. He was in serious pain, not only in his heart, not only in his finances, but in his body. And so what do you learn from that? Well, God tells us in the story of Job that he sent his friends First, Job's friends, and I want to share something with you. His friends were there. And the scripture says that they were there for days and just sat with them. They didn't say anything. When I lost Brenda, I didn't lose her. I guess that's a dumb... <laughs> she knows where she's at. I know where she's at. So I guess that's good. When Brenda passed on to heaven, man, I was just lost in my grief and sadness. And people, church people, great people who love us, they just never know what to say. You ever, you ever experienced that? They would come up and like, they'd say some thing you'd hear in church or they'd say a scripture and all those are very true and they meant well. But after a while of hearing that same thing, you just want to say, please don't tell me that, you know, all things work together for the good of them, the love of the Lord, and blah, blah, blah. I, I, I know that. I just don't need to hear that. So one morning at church, this couple, she had lost her mother uh, a little while before that. Her and her husband came up, and they both just came around me and put their arms around me, and we just stood there and cried. And I thought for the first time, you don't have to say anything. That just being there and present, and if you're dealing with people in your life, or you come in occasion to somebody that has a loss, you don't need to preach, you don't need to give them a word. Unless God gives you a specific word, just love them, just be there. And I have found that that's so helpful now as I'm helping other people who are facing cancer and death and so many things. So, but that didn't last long because we church people, we kind of just can't sit on the sidelines too long. We got to get involved. You know, we're that kind of people. 
And so there were his friends. I want to talk to you about them. And here's the, I just get this because I've never seen this, but in scripture, each of these had a specific kind of word of advice. And I see it today in church. I see it today in the Christian world. Uh, Eliaphaz comes and says this. Okay, now understand with pain, with loss, here's the first advice. And I've, I've taken this from all the scripture and I've just got it down to one sentence. He says, suffering either has to do with justice or correction. It has to have a purpose. They deserve it or God is making you stronger. We've thought that many times. You've probably heard a sermon along that line. And it's not that it's not bad advice, but it's incomplete. Bildad, his next friend comes up. He has a little different take. He says, if you do the right thing, you get the blessings of God. If you do the wrong thing... You get punished. I've, I know this is a grace church, Greg. We've talked about that. But the churches you and I grew up in, man, that message was very strong and clear. Man, if something bad happened to you, what, is there sin in your life? What did you do? Did you tick God off? There's a great old Ziggy. You remember Ziggy, the little round cartoon guy from many years ago? Nobody? <laughs> Millennials. <laughs> they don't know Ziggy. I, I kept this card. It was one of my favorite. I should have actually brought it. Uh, it had Ziggy looking up in the clouds, and a big hand is coming out of the cloud. And Ziggy on the front cover says, I had a long talk with God last night. And you open it up, and the Ziggy card says, he's still pretty steamed, but I think I got you off the hook. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that was my theology growing up. It's like I've ticked off God. So, man, my car broke down. I've sinned. My uh, get a cold, I've sinned. Something happens in my finances, I've sinned. So Bildad came with that. Do the right thing, you get good things. Do the wrong thing, you get bad things. Zophar comes. He is the worst. He's the legalistic defender of God's truth. I've met these people in church. They're very difficult to deal with. All right? He comes because he's going to defend the righteousness of God and the truth of God. And he comes with force. And there's absolutely no love or compassion in his heart for Job. He says to Job, in essence, you deserve this. You better just repent and start following God's rules and your life will change. I call that the dead right kind of theology. You can be dead right on your truth, but if there is no love, you have just lost any opportunity to speak in someone's life. Last was Elihu. Elihu was the young one. He had been sitting around listening to all the us old guys talk. He was, he was maybe the millennial of his day. I don't know. He, he probably lived in his parents' basement and played... <laughs> games back then. And I say that because, uh, like Greg, many of my friends at our church are millennials. I don't know why. I love them. They love me. They call me names like Old Man and Gramps, and I call them millennial names, and we have a good time. But we love each other, and we tease each other. But this guy, Elihu, says wisdom, he says this, wisdom comes from the Spirit of God. So he's feeling like the God, you'll get this, God has given him a word. You ever have a word come? And you're thinking, where in the world did that come from? Elihu's that guy in church that comes up and says, hey, I, I have a word from you. But the problem is he really just doesn't have a word. He has something that he thinks is important to say. And so he says, Job, hey, God is speaking to you, but you're just not listening. His view of God is this, is that our actions on earth, as if you look at his thing, he says, what we do here doesn't affect God. God is so big and beyond you, it doesn't matter. All right? You're just not listening to God. So do whatever you want because it doesn't matter to God. So none of these are true. And then we look at Job. Job is amazing. Job was suffering. Here's the thing that 
whew, man, I've lived the good life and I've had great things happen. And here's Job. This is just so simple, but we just bypass it all the time. Job was suffering, folks, because he was good. He's in the right place with God, doing the right things, and Satan comes to God, and God with joy and delight. Oh, this is hard on my theology. It says, have you seen my servant Job, how much he loves me? And Satan says, nah, because he's got it good, he loves you. So God allows him to take, and then he comes back, and God allows him to take his health. And so it starts Job on this thing. If you're here today, and you're just literally not making sense of God because in your heart you love God more than ever. You are serving him, being faithful, and horrible things are happening to you. Listen, it might be just that reason that you are experiencing those things. Scripture tells us to consider it all joy when we face these things. So Job, all right, here's his process now. He thought, okay, this must be a test. And I'm capsulizing all these chapters down to just a few statements. Like gold, put through the fire, all right? Those are things that he's looking at, all right? And so he looks then, okay, God, maybe you're purifying me. Maybe you're making my faith greater, and we've all experienced that. But here's the truth. Eventually, Job just gives up trying to understand God. At some point, he's saying, Lord, it's better for me to die than to just go through this. I can't do this anymore. And he asks God, just take me. Right after Brenda, man, I'm telling you, I was like, God, I just... I just don't want to live. I wouldn't do anything dumb. I think there's not good advice for people, but I just didn't want to live. I just had such an ache in my heart. I just wanted to be, but God obviously had a different plan, all right? And so then God, after Job sitting there trying to understand God, then God finally answered Job, and here's what God does. First, he gives him a tour of creation. He says, Job, look at all this. I'm the one who put this together. I think he just established in Job this understanding of, hey, this is me. I'm God. Now, in our modern culture today, we just don't like that. We don't like the fact that somebody is so great and grand that they have to be seen as God. And then, interesting enough, and there's a lot of theology in this, I don't want to get into it, but he talks about two beasts. And some uh, uh, theologians don't see it as an actual beast, but a spirit or a thing. And I like that thought, and it made sense to me. But in that process, it looked at these, the Leviathan and those as ambition and chaos, and that they would be a part of our world. In essence, Job says this, I am God. I'm bigger than you could ever imagine, and the world is more complex than you could ever realize. But I want you to know, Job, that I'm real, that I care, and that I'm a good God. Oh, let that message sink in your heart today. It has meant so much to me to know that God is God. That he knows me, that he knows where I'm at, and that he cares. Now, so what's the point? Here's what I want to tell you. I've never seen this. I'm just this big picture kind of person. And all of a sudden, I took a look back at this. And here's what all this whole story of Job is about. It is about this, all right? Each of these characters have a little facet of God that they proposed. But they were all incomplete in that. I think what Job shows us that with all of our best efforts to understand God, that we don't, and that we won't be able to. And that irritates some people. Each of these characters have seen a little bit of God, and they made that their whole theology. I remember when I was a kid, I, I wore these big honking thick Coke bottle kind of glasses, doofy looking 
things. And finally, uh, contacts came out. I love contacts. So uh, I would lose them. And I would get down on the carpet or the ground, and I would just be so close looking for those contacts. And I'd tell the eye doctor, I can't ever find them. He says, you're doing it the wrong way. I said, well, how, what's the right way to find a contact? He said, stand back. When you hear the crunch, no. <laughs> stand, <laughs> stand back. And he said, just stop and look for a reflection. And that worked every time. Because the light would catch a little bit of that contact. Sometimes we're so close, we can't see the light. And so when we stand back and we look at this hole, God is saying, you have a bit of understanding and just a little bit. And it's not enough. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. But here's the really turn of this message. I thought about this. There's a lot of people that know God and try to understand God. But you know what? In the end of the day, I've been there. It's just not enough. It's not enough just to know who God is. And that leads me to the last one, love. Let me give you a little way, all right, how that looks. All right? It's not about what we know of God that's important. It's who we know. And that's a relationship. If you're a parent here, you've done this. I've done this. Uh, Maybe it's in a swimming pool. Maybe it's in a uh, uh, playground equipment. But when your kids were little, they were up on top. They were on the edge of the ledge. They were on the diving board. And you as their parents say, jump. You remember the terror in their eyes? They look at, that looks like a long ways. That looks pretty scary. All right? And if it was anybody else, they probably wouldn't have jumped. But why did they jump? They jumped because you were their dad or their mom. They jumped not because of what that you knew that they would be safe, but because of who they knew. And when they jumped into your arms, it wasn't because you said, because you'd say it, oh, it's going to be okay, just jump. It's because they knew that you as their parent loved them and they could trust you. It wasn't something they could maybe verbalize, but in their heart, they knew that. So the knowing isn't enough. You can know God is great and amazing and good, but until you know who he is. And he talks about, His perfect love. So the idea is jump. I want to state this. Our love for God should be so strong that we would rather follow him into a painful situation than live in comfort without him. Now I want to finish with a couple thoughts and then we're going to close this service. In the Old Testament, the view of God was basically hard to understand. There's a lot of stuff there that's scary. The Old Testament shows a facet of God. He was holy. He was just. He was faithful. But in the New Testament, something happened. We see another facet of God. He's love. He's grace. He's sacrificial. All of these are God. Now, I said earlier, I'm going to close with life. Life isn't good. It's hard. It's confusing and painful. Here's what I've learned. Life isn't good, but God is good. And I don't say life is good anymore. I say life is good because God is good. And everything, and I would be able to take another hour and tell you all the miracles that have happened in the last 12 weeks of how God has been good to me. You see, he talks about heaven on earth. It is the goodness of God on this earth that makes life good. And having that relationship, we're called to an abundant life. The two lives that we have are abundant and eternal. I want to read you a text that was sent by Brenda's hospice nurse. I want to talk to you about an abundant life. She says, Terry, thank you so much for letting me know about her death and sharing 
this part of the journey with your family. It has been such an honor to witness the grace and the dignity that you all have shown throughout one of the most trying times imaginable. She says, God has been glorified in all of you, and especially, of course, in Brenda. What an incredible woman of God. Please let me know when the service will be for her, and I will try my best to make it there. We're praying for peace and comfort for your family. That's the abundant life that I saw her live in the last three years. She was never fearful of death. She was, never, she was so concentrated on honoring God and bringing glory to his name. And in the midst of her cancer, she lived one of the most abundant lives you could imagine. But now she's been called to experience eternal life. Tim Keller writes this, and I love this. Three years ago when I found out she had cancer, I went down to my prayer room. It's in my basement. And I had that thought, God, this doesn't make sense. We're in the middle of ministry. Our kids, our family, our grandkids, everything is really going good. This just doesn't make sense. And I cried out to God for two days. And I said, God, surely you have a miracle waiting. Surely all of our physical cancer is going to be wiped away and then everybody will see your glory and honor you. And we pray for that and we believe God in that, but it didn't happen that way. Instead, God gave her a greater gift than physical healing. And in the midst of that, I was angry at God. I was frustrated. I was like all of Job's thoughts and all of his friends and their thoughts. And I was like, God, this just doesn't make sense to me. And then I read this uh, great quote by Tim Keller. He says, why is it so hard to face your own death or the death of a loved one? It's so hard because we think this broken world is the only world we're ever going to have. It's easy to feel as if this money is the only wealth we'll ever have. This body is the only body we'll ever have. But if Jesus Christ is risen, then all of us have a future that's so much more beautiful and so much more sure than that. I live today knowing that from God. Would you bow your head?